Good morning, church. We're going to turn our attention to the word of God. Today's passage is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church, and Happy New Year to you. I pray and hope that you are able to see in 2019 the many, many ways that God has been faithful to you, and that gives you faith and encouragement for 2020. And I would be remiss um, if, speaking of faithfulness, Connor Smith, it is great to see you. Here. Connor had an unexpected visit with the hospital this week, which was in many ways serious, and uh, his dad told me that the doctors call him the rule breaker. Not that he's breaking hospital rules, but that his medical condition changed so significantly that they couldn't explain it. And so over to that, we give thanks to God. Amen. Amen. I invite you, if you're not there, to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And as background, we have been on a series here called Sunday Matters. And in that series, we've been exploring two questions. First of all, why does the weekly assembly of Christians matter so much? Why is it important? And why is it important to God? And the second question is, What does God want us to do as we gather? Does that matter? Can we just be free-flowing and put together anything that we want to do, or is there direction from Scripture? And in the past messages, we've addressed preaching the Word, the order of Sunday morning service, singing the Word, praying the Word, and if you haven't heard those, I encourage you to go online and listen to those. But this morning, we're going to be talking about biblical fellowship, which is sharing the word, sharing the word, the importance of biblical fellowship. But before I get into that, let me pray. So if you will pray with me. Well, Father, we pause now to recognize who you are that you are God who is sovereign, you are other, that while we slept last night, you didn't, you kept watch, and you continue to keep watch. And Father, we acknowledge right now that you are here with us and that you are a speaking God. And Father, it's our heart's desire to hear from you. 
So to that end, Father, I ask that you would take my lips and you would speak through them. That you would take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for yourself. Lord, would you take our wills and mold and bend them and make them your own for your glory and your honor. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Stephanie read in Acts 2, we heard that as the early church gathered, there were some remarkable things taking place. There were signs, there were wonders, there were miracles. And in all of that, there were some common practices that they regularly did, meeting together, selling their possessions, sharing them, sharing meals together in their homes. But there were some very specific things that they devoted themselves to. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teachings would eventually become the New Testament scriptures. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which is a reference to, as well as meals, the Lord's Supper, as we will celebrate later today. They devoted themselves to prayers, and that's a variety of prayers, they also devoted themselves to fellowship, to fellowship. And it said that the early Christians were dedicated and devoted to fellowship. Now, perhaps we might be more apt to see and understand devotion and study to the word, devotion to prayer, devotion to the sacraments. But why be devoted to fellowship? Why be devoted? Why be given to that? I think it's an important question. What would possess the early church to sell their things and share all things in common? Now, in case you're worried, I'm not suggesting that we go out and we sell our possessions and share all things in common, though I have plenty of things that are in my garage that are a distraction to me. But why was it that they were so given to meeting with one another? Well, from Scripture, we will see that the early Christians devoted themselves to the practice of fellowship, not because they just loved community, not because it would be an effective method for growing their church, not because it was convenient or more entertaining, not because it was financially profitable, it was indeed a sacrifice for them. But the Christians were devoted to fellowship because it was a means of grace through which they experienced God's presence and God's presence to come to help them, to help them to love one another, to help them to serve one another, to help them to follow Jesus. It was a vital and necessary means of grace. Now that word means of grace is a theological term describes specific activities that God uses to supply grace to believers to help them to know, love, trust, follow, and obey Jesus. There are specific things. And in so doing, giving to his people incredible and eternal joy. The Holy Spirit works in and through means of grace, and he reveals himself to us through that, and he brings blessing. I think that's pretty important, don't you? 
I've summarized it this way. Fellowship is a vital means of grace by which Christ reveals himself and enables believers to help each other to trust, love, and follow him. Let me say that again. Fellowship is a vital means of grace by which Christ reveals himself and enables believers to help each other to love, trust, and follow him. And I hope to make this clear by looking at three particular points. And as I take a drink, I want to apologize to my Hispanic friends because I failed to send the slides for translation, and so they are not translated into Spanish. So I apologize for that, and I will seek to do better. But the three points I hope will make clear are these. The foundation of our fellowship, the form of our fellowship, and the fruit of our fellowship. The foundation of our fellowship, the form of our fellowship, and the fruit of our fellowship. So point number one, the foundation of our fellowship. And I would say it this way, that the foundation of our fellowship is first membership to Christ. Before we can think of fellowship between Christians, we must see that we are first united to Christ. This is the vertical dimension. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Our fellowship is first and foremost fellowship with Jesus. And it comes because of a call. And might I add, without that first call in fellowship, we do not have hope for fellowship with one another. The call of Jesus is termed an effectual call. An effectual call. It's not like a mother calls her son or child to dinner and the child chooses to disobey or ignore. The call of Jesus to himself is a call like the call to Lazarus, where he says to Lazarus, come forth, and he gives him life, and he gives him faith that comes because of the work of Christ. Jesus spoke the living word, come forth, and he came to life. And it's interesting because if you are a believer here this morning, at some point in your history, what took place is that the God of the universe came to you and said, come forth, have life. The God of the universe came to us and spoke to us, life. That's good news. That's exciting news. Jesus did that to Lazarus. He's done that to us. But our fellowship is first and foremost and primarily with Christ. In Acts 2, if we had time and we don't, we can look into some of the background that is taking place in verses 1 through 41. It's a powerful description of Pentecost. And what's taking place is the Holy Spirit is at work moving upon the Christians, moving upon the area. Because it really did upset the religious apple cart of Judaism It shook the religious world with awesome signs and wonders. Something isn't normal going on around here in Judaism. And it ushered in a whole new age of the church. 
Can you imagine for the first time those who were being favored by God and those who were entering the kingdom were not those who were born Jewish, not those who kept the law, not those who were being circumcised. Those who were entering the kingdom were those who Jesus called to himself, those to whom he was giving faith, those who repented of their sins. These Christians were amazed with this grace. Their lives were being changed. They were in a relationship for the first time with the living God, the creator of the universe. And there was a zeal upon them for that. They knew the joy of having all their sins forgiven. Is there any greater joy? The early church was alive with Jesus and with zeal and with their relationship with the Lord. And their gatherings and fellowship reflected that. It wasn't just something they put together. It was a spiritual revival born by the Spirit of God. They believed, as do we, that when we gather together, something happens. Something takes place. Something supernatural. For as we gather together, as is his promise, God is here among us by his Spirit. Friends, as we gather this morning, I would be remiss to not stop and say, we have gathered in his name. And therefore, he is here among us. And he has a purpose for being here. And if you are here, he has a purpose for you being here. As we gather, we're reminded of the grace that he gives to us. But we must always remember and not take for granted. He meets with us not because we're good, not because we're extra religious, not because we have all the right beliefs or practices. Something happens as we gather because God, by his grace, meets with us. I want us to remember and never forget that the power of our fellowship is not our practice of gathering, but it's his presence as we do. The power of our fellowship is not our practice, but his presence. But as we gather, we make room for him. It's twofold. Therefore, <clears throat> we need to prioritize, as did the early Christians, they were alive with zeal and wonder. And we can't forget that the first button on the shirt for us is the presence of God here with us. The early Christians were alive with the truth that their sins were forgiven, that they were in a relationship with the living God. There was a joy that overcame them. And I, want to, I wonder and want to ask, you here this morning... Is that your experience? Do you know the joy of your sins forgiven? I'm not just talking about the head knowledge. Are you experiencing joy 
Do you have the wonder of your sins forgiven? Does it grip you? Are you excited that you are in a relationship with God? For some who are here, I would like to ask you the question, do you know for sure that if you were to pass tonight, that you would go to be with him? Just attending a church service does not guarantee that we are in relationship with God. Just like sitting in a garage doesn't mean that you're going to be a car. It takes more than that. A relationship with God and fellowship begins with the regenerating work of God, opening our eyes, birthing the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. If you are here, and that's not your experience, I'm here to tell you that it can be. You can know the God of the universe personally. You can experience the joy of all your sins forgiven. And if you are here and you know that in head knowledge, you can be refreshed in your joy. I pray that happens. But we all must come to faith. We must come to him. We must trust him. The foundation of Christian fellowship begins first with a relationship with Jesus and he makes us a member of himself. Secondly, when we're members of Christ, we need to see that he makes us members of one another. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this. So we, though many, are one body and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Over to Ephesians 4:25. It says, "We are members one of another." Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way: "Christian brotherhood is a reality created by God through Christ, not an ideal to be achieved." As Christians, we must see that we're not just members of a secular society. We're not just members of a self-help club or an individual organization that we join to improve our American lifestyle, like a gym that we just tack on. We're part of a living, holy, sacred body within which the God of the universe makes himself known and accomplishes his purposes on earth. Is that not exciting? What a privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. And this is something, not that we do, but it is done to us as we're given faith in Christ to which we respond. Our call to follow Christ is a commissioning to be a member of his body and be members with other Christians. It's a call to fellowship. Some of you know the word fellowship from the Greek koinonia. It speaks of partnership. It speaks of sharing. It speaks of communion. Now, we won't all as Christians be at the same level of friendship or closeness in a church. That's impossible. But as Christians, we do have altogether 
a spiritual bond. Therefore, we need one another. We're members of one another. Another part of scripture Paul talks about the I can't say to the leg, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the arm, I don't need you. We are members of one another and we need one another. We are called to care for one another. So the summary of point one is the foundation of the Christian fellowship is the saving work first of Christ and then devotion to fellowship being the rightful byproduct. So, next question is, what's fellowship supposed to look like? What are we supposed to do as we gather together? So, point two, the form of our fellowship. And I would say it this way, the form of our fellowship is a demonstration of the care of Christ. The form of our fellowship is a demonstration of the care of Christ. And as we interact with one another, there are at least three areas that scripture addresses, which include attitude, speech, and initiative. Attitude, speech, and initiative. This is really looking at the horizontal dimension of our fellowship. So I would invite you to please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As we approach fellowship, we'll get to the particulars about what we do. But before we talk practice, we must talk attitude. Please remember that the goal of our fellowship, the goal of our fellowship is not just to have a good time, though we do have a good time when we gather. The goal is not just to hang with friends that we like, though that's an important part and something else that we do. The goal of our fellowship is to care and encourage one another to love, trust, and obey Jesus. So... It's no surprise that he's going to address, first of all, our attitude. So Ephesians 4.1 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, please note Paul's writing from prisoner and he puts that in there. It indicates attitude, sacrifice. For the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility Gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the bonds of peace. It calls us flat out to temper and adjust our attitude to one another, to be humble, gentle, patient, seeking to maintain the unity of the body. In short, Paul tells us to be radically others focused for their spiritual benefit. Should sound very similar to the famous words of Jesus in John 15:12. He tells us, "This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this." that someone lays down his life for his friends. It's the most quoted commandment in the New Testament. Love one another. Scripture makes clear that we are called, first of all, to an attitude of love, of humility, of caring, of unity. 
Our attitude is the first button on the shirt of our fellowship. So, what is our attitude towards Sunday morning? Let's take a little survey, but I'm going to ask no show of hands, and I don't have anyone in mind as I ask these questions. But, what comes to mind when you think of fellowship? Would your life be characterized as being devoted to fellowship? How about as were the early Christians? You might be given to wanting to just slip into the church and then slip out and perhaps avoid interaction. Or you might want to just come and hear the singing, want to hear the preaching and then leave. I don't recommend you do that. You may want to depart just as the service ends to get to an appointment, but really to avoid interaction. Now, please understand there is a myriad of legitimate exceptions. Let me build that wall. There are exceptions to that. People have to go. I have to go at times. You have to go. However, having built those walls, if you regularly practice an aversion to interacting with other believers, please listen, you're avoiding a vital component of your spiritual growth. You're also missing out on the spiritual component that the Lord has called you to and intends to use to bless you. Yes, even among imperfect people, he will use them to bless you. Moreover, if you continue to a practice of aversion, of interaction, you've chosen a path of spiritual isolation, self-absorption, and the making of your own religion. Uh, lastly, and most fearfully, you're courting temptation because you're isolating to yourself to your own input or that of the world's and our hearts are deceptive. Friends, we are, as Christians, members of one another and we need one another. We need the care and input of one another. We need fellowship because God says we need fellowship and we need the care of Christ that comes as we fellowship and this, by the way, will also help our attitude. So attitude is critical. But secondly, speech. In addition to attitude, Scripture addresses our speech as we interact. Would you look at Ephesians 4, verse 11? 4, 11. I'm going to read a number of verses here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Please note who's doing the ministry there. It's the saints. For the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. There's a process going on. There's a building. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, 
Now he addressed the speech particularly. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. As a Christian, you're part of the body of, the Christ, body of Christ. And as a Christian, you're called to minister to the body of Christ. Pastors and teachers and evangelists, their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's the ministers, the Christians, that do the ministry. We are all, by the way, ministers. Some of us have different gifts. And the purpose of our speech as we fellowship is to help one another grow in faith, grow in maturity, grow in our knowledge of Christ, to become more like Christ and to help us demonstrate the care of Christ. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Another address of speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Oof, I just felt that one. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may, look at those next two words, give grace. Your speech giving grace. Not that you are somehow the repository of grace, but as a member of the body of Christ, you become a conduit of that. And one of the ways that he uses that is our speech. So he addresses our speech. In short, he says, watch what you say. How many times have I heard that? You have the ability to tear down and to discourage. But amazingly, you also have the ability to communicate grace. And through your words, as you give grace, you encourage people to follow Jesus. And as they do, he gets the glory. No one who is here, who is a believer, in this room is without a story of somebody who has helped them by words that they spoke. Somehow, some words encouraged you to follow Jesus. And I have a whole host of stories myself, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but the number, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't the fellowship, the encouragement, the speech of many men and women who have spoken to me about my marriage, about my children, about parenting, about finances, about my faith in God, about my marriage, about being a better husband. There's a theme there about trusting God when it hurts, about knowing he's there when I don't see him, about desiring him when I don't desire him. The list goes on and on and on. I read the scripture and it's there. I know it's there. But when somebody speaks to me about it, it's their devotion to Christ, their faith in Christ, their explanation of their love for Christ that affects my devotion, that affects my following of Christ. 
And I told Eric I wasn't going to share this because I hadn't scheduled it, but I want to, I just saw his face. I used to work at Staples. And I'm not going to bore you with the details of that. But there are times when on the floor as I was working, and it was a multiple job for me, so I was tired, Eric would come in, just going to buy some supplies, and as an employee, of course, you have to help the different customers, and so I could spend time with Eric. But regularly, Eric would come in, and he would share something of faith, of why we do what we do, why we live the way we live, what our real reward was, what our goal is, not because I asked him, not because he was preaching at me, but because he was sharing what was in his heart. And I would walk away from those meetings regularly, and I would say, Lord, I'm not here tonight to gain a paycheck. I'm here because I gained that encouragement. God used a brother. Now, that was in a specific setting, but that was fellowship. And that's happened time and time and time again. We need one another. Words are a central part of our fellowship. Speech is a key part. The third part is initiative. Scripture addresses our initiative in fellowship, which you turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Well, you know what? We're going to post this one. I think we have it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near. Friends, in our fellowship, we're called to consider, called to ponder, called to think about how we can help our brothers and sisters serve Jesus. After considering, however, that's not where he stops, we have to act upon it. We have to meet with them. We have to encourage. But the first thing he starts with is consider. Consider. When's the last time you considered or thought about, how can I help that brother? Put mental time in. By the way, we're called to act on it and just thinking about something without actually acting upon it remains just an idea. We're called to act. Bible says, do it, stir one another up. We're called to take initiative. Hebrews 10 calls about stirring people up to follow Jesus. The call to Christian community is a call to act not just to think about it, but to act. It's a call to meet with one another. It's a call to take initiative. When's the last time that you took time to purposely go with some, to someone and encourage them in their walk in Christ? To encourage them to use their faith to trust Christ to use their gifts to serve Jesus. It's the last time you stirred someone else up. And the call to community is a call to remind one another that we don't live primarily for today. We live for that day. That day when we will see him face to face. And as we can focus on that day, There is a joy that comes 
there is a release that comes when our focus is on that day approaching because to live for that day, we will need his help to live today. So how do we practically do this? How do you practically do fellowship? How do you participate in fellowship? And consider how you will apply it today. Now, there are some of you who are very, very skilled in this, far more than me. Some of you who are very comfortable. Some of you who have been practicing it all week, including this morning. But there are others who would say, yeah, I'm willing to do this. I'm just not so sure how. So let me give you a few practical pastoral suggestions. What I call these the ABCs of biblical fellowship. A, ask. Very simple. Ask people how they're doing. Believe it or not, that can be a very, very powerful question. How are you doing? And unfortunately, actually it's fortunately, I have some very, very stubborn brothers who will say to me, like my community group leader, how are you doing? And then I will make some responses and then he will say, thank you. How are you doing? (laughs) Same question, different meaning. It's a good question. He's going after something. Ask. The other day I was with a group of men at a breakfast and one of the people there asked, just a, just a question, what are some of the lessons that you saw God do or taught you last year? And the response from that that I heard was so encouraging. Someone just offered a question, ask. Be, bring, bring your gift. Some of us are good counselors. Some of us are good teachers. Some of us are good financial people. Some are good administrators. We all aren't going to be professional counselors with one another. We're not going to be professional theologians. We don't have to be. What we have to bring is our faith that Jesus has helped me and you're a part of his body and he will help you too and I'm going to believe God will do that and God will. Something happens when we launch out to bring Christ into a conversation because he shows up and then it all changes. Bring your gift. The early church, they brought all of their possessions and they came together. We're not going to sell our possessions, but we are going to bring what he's given us to bring and he will take and use it. And then thirdly, communicate the care of Christ. Each situation is going to be different. The care of Christ is going to look different. It might mean that you listen It might mean that you share what God has done. It might mean that you share a scripture. It might mean that you share a prayer. It might mean that you do something practical. But communicate the care of Christ. Let me just give you one hint as you apply the ABCs. This comes from David Powlison. Don't try and solve the whole problem at one time if it comes up. Take one bit of truth and apply it to one bit of truth of life. One bit of truth. One bit of life. Sometimes it simply means I've seen, it means that you say, I've seen God act when I didn't know he would. I believe he'll do the same for you. Do you know how encouraging that can be to somebody who's struggling? 
we can do that. And again, the key, if you've received help from Jesus, and if you're a believer, you have, you can help somebody else to trust him for it. Point number three, the fruit of our fellowship. The fruit of our fellowship. We've talked about the foundation, the form, and now the fruit. I say it this way, the fruit of our fellowship brings reward to us and praise to Christ. Brings reward to us and praise to Christ. Reward to us comes in the form of spiritual growth and maturity. As the early church fellowshiped with one another, as we fellowship one another, spiritual growth happens. Spiritual growth happens. But God gets the glory. Secondly, fruit of our fellowship is joy. John 15, 10, and 11 says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be, look at the last word, full. He gives us this, that our joy might be full. As we engage in fellowship with him and with one another, there is an unstoppable outcome of joy. That's part of the gift that he gives. And the reason that there's an unstoppable outcome of joy is because he, who is the source of all joy, makes his presence with us. It's his promise. The last fruit of our spirit is a fruit of fellowship is praise to Christ. For as we demonstrate his character, he is glorified. He is glorified. So biblical fellowship, in conclusion, is of immense importance importance in our Christian lives. It's of immense importance and important to Sunday morning. It's the key, well, one key, means of grace that God has ordained whereby we together help one another to know him, to grow in him, to glorify him, to obey him. It's indispensable. It's a core of our Christian life. Remember that Christian fellowship is a reality already created. It's not something that you have to go and create. As we leave here today, you don't have to go create fellowship. It's already been created. The question is, where are you going to participate? Where are you going to walk in? Consider the example of our Lord. Consider that he took the initiative. Consider he took the initiative to leave heaven, to come to us, to fellowship with us. Consider the example of Paul. Paul crossed countries, he crossed seas, he crossed jail cells to fellowship. I think we can cross the aisle. We can cross the town. We can cross the room to fellowship with one another. Consider most of all that God makes himself known as we seek to fellowship with one another. Oh, there is one more thing. 
Consider today who he might want you to engage with. He's calling us to this. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you. Thank you that you have arrested us, that you have brought us into faith in Christ, that you have given us new life and forgiveness of sins. You've made us a member of your body and you've made us members one of another. Father, our desire is that we would glorify you with our lives, with our speech, with our attitudes, that this body would continue to be built up to the honor and glory of Christ. So, Father, come by your Spirit, walk among us, minister to our hearts, help us to love you more. We ask this for your namesake, Lord Jesus. Amen.